Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking Practitioner. Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner, where Books of Discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. And Books of Discovery likes to say learning adventures start here, and they see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast and are proud to support our work, knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. So check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners can save 15% by entering the word thinking at checkout. This is uh, Whitney, and Till is off this week. I'm delighted to be joined by a longtime friend and colleague, Lane Blondheim. Lane is a physical therapist in South Bend, Indiana, and our topic today is looking at some issues that we share in common between our professions and maybe some things that we can learn from each other as well. So, Lane, welcome to The Thinking Practitioner, and great to see you again. Whitney, thank you for having me here. It's fantastic to see you again and to be in collaboration with you on any project that you have that's available. I love working with all right, great. So I'm going to ask you, Lane, just to talk a little bit about your history, background, and what you are currently doing. And again, just as uh, uh, a note to everyone, we um, we do have, uh, Lane and I go back probably to what, like the early 90s or so, I think it was when we were first teaching. Yeah, teaching together back a long, long time ago. So uh, I've been following your career and, and the wonderful things that you've been doing since that time. So tell us a little bit about um, what you do and where you are currently. Well, prior to 93, I got a degree from the University of Alabama in political science uh, and was considering medical school or physical therapy school, decided to go to the Atlanta School of Massage to get my certificate in massage therapy, got to work with you and Benny Vaughn and a host of other really fantastic people that that really have shaped my world for physical therapy. Um, I eventually went to physical therapy school. I graduated in 1998 from the University of Mobile. Uh, down in uh, Sarah Land, Alabama, uh, uh, on the coast uh, near Mobile. Um, and from there, I worked in a hospital for a short bit and then went to work for a larger company that had a private practice. Uh, they were bought out by a venture capital group. I moved on and opened my own practice for, and had one for 12 years in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, sold it or merged it into another practice uh and that eventually ended up here in South Bend, Indiana with a company called Athletico Physical Therapy, uh, which has been fantastic. It's It's been more of a dream job mm-hmm. and allows me to do a lot with coworkers and students and physicians, uh, uh, ranging from the bottom of Lake Michigan to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah. Wonderful. You know, you've got such a an interesting, diverse um, educational background. I know you and I talked about this probably some many, many years ago, and I would like to just share a little bit with the listeners. You said you kind of had an intention to become a physical therapist earlier on when you went to massage school, but tell me how that, you know, training and the work that you did in massage therapy, how how does that that shape your perspective about your work as a physical therapist? Well, as you may or may not know from some of our prior discussions, uh, just personally between us, uh, uh, there was a time when I really got focused on being a physical therapist and knowing that a physical therapist has to touch their patients 
-hmm. what better way to get more mastery than to be a massage therapist and researching different programs uh, from the Carolinas to Georgia uh, through to New Orleans, the Atlanta School of Massage for me, not to really plug them, but what they had at the time was such a more focused opportunity uh, that I felt would segue better into physical therapy for me. Uh, uh, Benny Vaughn, yourself, uh, uh, were huge draws for me in terms of what you brought to the table uh, when I sat down and interviewed the school and was completely impressed and knew that this is where I wanted to go to start my direction to be a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, it was a, a true launch pad. And, and what I learned there has provided me the opportunity to work with uh, students in on a university setting and in a one-on-one -on -one and small group clinical uh, setting to really learn how to relate to your patients, gain their trust for touch, uh, uh, listen to your patient's body, to listen to your patient when they say things, uh, and and really try your best to work the diagnostic process. Yeah. And that way you can then have a better intervention for treatment. You know, a couple of years ago, I was doing some work with an organization that was trying to focus a great deal of attention on interprofessional education, and just that's essentially the you know, how how we learn about what other professions do. And, and you know, one of the things that's very clear to me as, a, as an educator in the massage therapy world is that I hear a lot of things from practitioners in our field about other professions and fields that I think are misunderstandings. And you have a particularly unique um, perspective, I think, from being trained as a massage therapist and then also working as a physical therapist. So I would, uh, I'm curious to know, like, if from your perspective, what are some of the common misconceptions that um, maybe physical therapists have about massage therapists or that massage therapists have about physical therapists and the work they do? Well, let's, let's start from the physical therapist standpoint first. Because I think that it's one of the one of the more clouded ones, and it's that massage therapists are basically flowers and beads and granola kind of people who are low educated that just like to rub on people and or work on a spa. And and you and I both know that's absolutely not true. That the level of education that that one receives uh, uh, before I was even in massage therapy school uh, is as much higher than that. Uh, certainly it's not at a full university setting uh, for an advanced degree, but the very basis of, of what's available as a massage therapist to be educated is pretty strong. And then what you do with it, with it once you get out, of course, is, is on your own. And yeah, there are some people that are alternative, uh, uh, not by design, but by draw and massage therapy. But there's some also fantastically clinical practitioners out there uh, who hone in on some really specific uh, ways to make people feel better. From the massage therapist to the physical therapist standpoint, not PTs are area, and they do exercise modalities. Um, and there's whole veins and branches of physical therapy that are very much into manual interventions, ranging from Stanley Paris, Ola Grimsby, uh, Brian Mulligan, uh, Maitland, uh, et cetera, that have brought us to where we're at 
uh, in current uh, practice where we really understand that you have to find ways to touch your patients. Of course, you need to be a master of exercise, know how to use your modalities, but if you don't sit down and actually work with your patient, touch your patient, make your patient comfortable uh, in the fact that that you can uh, break down their problem in a more holistic fashion. Um, about McGill, uh, first name escapes me. Stuart. Uh, Stuart, yeah, Stuart yeah. McGill. Fantastic, fantastic uh, practitioner. Mm-hmm. Fantastic educator. Uh, uh, he, in his books and in some of his podcasts, and I think he did one with you sometime back. He did, yeah, a uh, couple actually, yep. Uh, understanding the biomechanics, the anatomy, et cetera, uh, the, the different things that make a patient tick, uh, not looking at uh, what was one thing that he said that was poignant in one of his podcasts, and it may have been yours, that iliopsoas, it's not one muscle, they're two muscles. They are innervated differently, they activate differently, they are used differently, your body tells them to work at different manners and their timing and whether you're standing or sitting or or whatnot uh, and how that breaks down into that individual's problem. And then he also brings in very appropriately the psychosocial issues of of the individual patient. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm probably getting ahead of, of where you're at, but when massage therapists and physical therapists think along those lines, we're all on the same page and we can all drive forward to make those individuals better. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yes, PTs are can be very arrogant when we're talking to other practitioners, especially when we think they are below an educational level that, that we're at, such as a massage therapist who still only requires a certificate or maybe gets an associate's degree, depending on who's running their program as compared to the current uh, physical therapy uh, uh, entry level degree, which is a clinical doctorate. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I graduated, it was a master's degree, and they were just beginning the clinical doctorate programs. But years ago, it was a certificate, just like a massage therapist. Yeah, you had to do all of the anatomy, physiology, and modality, and physics, etc. It was just a certificate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the background between a PT and a massage therapist ultimately has a similar history. Yeah. Uh, massage therapy is just not advanced in the, uh, the formal education realm. At this point, so. Yeah. I'm curious to hear a bit more from your perspective as, as an individual within this field, because this is my perception from an, indi- an, an individual outside of the physical therapy world, because I do hear, um, you know, in reading various, you know, social media forums and things like that, uh, a fair amount of discussion, kind of some of which you alluded to here about manual therapy versus not manual therapy. Is, is there sort of a, um, a schism or a or kind of a division in the field of people who are very strong advocates for doing a lot of hands-on manual therapy versus those that aren't, or is that uh, just like a small thing? I think it boils down to formal education. Mm-hmm. And physical therapy school, you get a few days of massage and a little bit of uh, joint mobilization and some very rudimentary material. Uh, the, the big focus is on diagnosis, basic science, uh, psychosocial, pharmacology, et cetera. And all those are, are wonderful. But when it comes down to 
practice and taking all those things that you've learned, they've learned more about exercise than they have about putting their hands on people. So the, the schism, and in, in my humble opinion, is that we don't facilitate the learning for the physical therapy student to be better with their hands as a source of data to then provide care. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it always amazes me when a therapist does nothing but exercise, and they often get some very fine results, but they miss a tremendous amount of data that can help refine their intervention and more expediently uh, make a change in that patient or provide them a completely different perspective that could help some of the hangups that that patient has in their care. Yeah. Uh, their progress, I guess is a better way to say. Yeah. So if there is that limited amount of time with, with actual instruction and, and hands-on manual therapy, are most practitioners who are doing more manual therapy stuff learning that stuff in like continuing education courses after they finish their degree or, or how, are they, how are they developing those skills? They are going out to other courses. Uh, some are becoming massage therapists and then going back into the clinic. Others are going to uh, courses uh, of some of the aforementioned names, Ola Grimsby, uh, 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 Maitland, et cetera, uh, Caltenborn, uh, uh, associating themselves with more manually therapy-oriented uh, uh, associations in the country and internationally. Um, and, and they see a grand uh, opportunity there to really interview with their patients in a completely different way. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 the, the benefit of mobilizing a joint uh, improving vascular flow via soft tissue m- manipulation, neural gliding, uh, other mobilizations of tissues, et cetera. And plus their understanding of anatomy becomes a, a, a deeper perspective. Uh, an addendum to that, I, I things like dry needling, cupping, uh, Graston technique, A-stem technique, uh, you need a different perspective of how you're going to intervene with your patient other than exercise. Mm-hmm. It allows them to know that some type of touch, and I'll include dry needling and, and that touch uh, loosely, uh, having a different understanding of that anatomical series of structures and how they interplay is is has been very beneficial to a lot of therapists. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, you know, in terms of your, your clinical work over the years, and, and let me sort of back up. Had, did you have any, for example, massage therapists working with your clinics in Mobile, where you were, or, or where you are currently in Indiana? Uh, we don't have any working with us here. And in Alabama, we, uh, for a brief time, had massage therapists working with us Um uh, uh, but their lives took a different turn because of, of relationships, and they, they moved out of town. We brought in a uh, physical therapist who was a lymphedema specialist, mm-hmm. uh, and her uh, activity was probably 98% hands-on manual therapy uh, for lymphedema, uh, probably more like 85, and the rest was taping and strapping and, and a little bit of exercise, but it was primarily manual lymphatic drainage. Yeah. Uh, um. It's been more of a collaboration of outside offices and yeah. trying to find a way to discuss and work with the patient with, of course, appropriate HIPAA clearance. Uh, I, uh, uh, I, I think 
that having a massage therapist on hand in an office is very valuable. Uh, but I think that opens up a can of worms of how you deal with reimbursement. Uh, and, and, and that's, uh, that's another topic in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, but when you're able to collaborate, I, I think it's, it's, it's much more efficient. Yeah. What are some, maybe just, uh, like a, a clinical case example or two of you, of ways in which you think, um, our two professions would work most effectively together. And, and you know, I, I certainly seen this cause I was, I've worked in a number of physical therapy clinics uh, across the years and just saw some what I've felt like to be in many instances enhanced results when the two of us did what we do best together, especially in you know, various post-surgical cases and things like that. But what are some examples of ways that you think um, those things, really, the patient outcomes are really enhanced by, by the different approaches? Sure. I have, I have two basic ones that, that turned out really well. Um, the crux of the, the improvement, though, I think, was the communication between the therapists uh, and the patient. Um, that that trilogy of communication was uh, have to be particularly excellent. One is a, a patient with fibromyalgia who also had lumbar radiculopathy. Um, uh, she psychologically had a lot of stress, was completely concerned and focused on on her problem as if it was a series of forest fires and not one significant problem. Between myself and a massage therapist, we were able to listen to the patient, help her delineate some of her problems. But from a, a more clinical aspect, we were able to actually put hands on areas of her spine that did have trigger points, uh, areas of her hips and glutes that had trigger points that, that mimicked her radicular symptoms. We were able to reduce the interference of the the symptoms uh, in the physical therapy clinic with some exercise, a little bit of modality, and some hands-on soft tissue and joint mobilization. But I think she really got a lot better when she went to see the massage therapist that spent 30 to 45 minutes at a time with this person doing nothing but we'll call it regional uh, uh, intervention between like her thoracic spine down to basically her knees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had more time at clinic because they did not have the constraints we have as physical therapists. Uh, uh, you know, as in any business, productivity is a, is a big situation. And we have to deal with insurance reimbursement. can be problematic. Insurances will limit how much manual therapy we can actually intervene on a patient with uh, on a consistent basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but a massage therapist gift of time mm-hmm. and for them to be able to change the vascular flow in that region to allow the patient to experience changes in tissues and talk about it uh, and they use non-catastrophic verbalizations with the patient uh, I gave her hope gave her insight we echoed a lot of those things in the physical therapy clinic with what we were doing with activity and function and the bit of manual therapy that we were doing. Uh, and I think the whole turnaround from the psychosocial to the time on the table with the massage therapist and working on function and the, and the bit of manual therapy we did it was a wonderful workout for her. Yeah. Uh, similarly, uh, a total knee replacement patient, 
lots of swelling, lots of bruising. Uh, again, our big constraints in the clinic uh, that I was at was spending a lot of time working through the hip musculature, working through the calf musculature in a manual fashion. Uh, we work a lot on function. We work a lot on strengthening a bit on the manual interventions, but in collaborating with the, the massage therapist, they were very capable at making sure that uh, we kept the iliotibial band free by working with the glutes and tetrapachalata, for example, uh, reduced their swelling, helped improve vascular flow all up and down the leg. The late, the, the remaining bruising that was on their thigh from their tourniquet time and the surgery disappeared much quicker, mm-hmm. they were more comfortable, and then therefore they were able to turn around and work harder on their function at the clinic. So uh, uh, just wonderful to have those several visits with the massage therapist with both of these patients to to have wonderful impact. Yeah. Um, I want to, you've mentioned this a couple of times, and I know this is a bit of a, a potential rabbit hole too, but uh, this, this is a, an issue that comes up a lot in our field, a lot of the discussion around, you know, should we try to get more involved with, um, you know, learning more about insurance reimbursement to make massage more accessible to different people? And a lot of the folks that I talk about um, you know, in different fields, in your field and in the chiropractic field, who have to work with insurance a lot, say they would love to not have to do that, you know, and it seems like the people who have it don't want it, the people who don't have it want it, you know, kind of thing sometimes, at least to, to some degree. Um, and I'm curious to hear your your uh, take on whether or not you, you think that, that uh, the reimbursement process through insurance is something that has interfered with the ideal treatment protocols in 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 many instances because that is one of the things that I do hear from from a lot of the PT practitioners that I listen to. I will say that it certainly does force us to have to think a lot harder about how we're going to treat a patient through the insurance company versus just purely treat the patient. Yeah, um, insurance companies rightly in some ways and not as rightly in others, forced diversification in how one intervenes. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get mired in, in treatment codes and such, but doing therapeutic exercise, neuromuscular re-education, manual therapy, therapeutic activities, ultrasound, electrical stimulation, et cetera. Uh, you know, that's, that's how we bill and that's how we get paid, usually based on a time, uh, a timed effort. Uh, the timed efforts have evolved and I will not go into that because it can be quite the nightmare and a rabbit hole. We just don't want to have time for Yeah. Uh, but the more diverse you bill, uh, you're the better opportunities you have for complete reimbursement. Mm-hmm. If I had my druthers on some days and doing nothing but manual therapy on my patients for two, three, four units per visit, it would be fabulous to spend a full hour or more with a patient doing yeah. nothing manual therapy. And I can get away with that every blue moon for a patient. But insurance companies seem to have an algorithm where they will stop paying for certain procedural codes after a either a bulk number of them or after a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes they will audit you, sometimes without your knowing. Uh, as a practitioner, they'll, they'll get documentation, they'll look at your coding, and they'll, they'll see if they think it was 
uh, appropriate for you to actually perform those different uh, procedural modalities with your patient. Yeah. Uh, so massage therapists, if they decide to get into the insurance game, they're going to have to have extremely well-backed rationale as to why they're doing what they're doing. So this will force a lot of documentation and it will force uh, them to realize that they may only be able to get paid from insurance for just a few visits mm-hmm. until they decide that that's enough manual therapy for that patient. That's enough massage. Yeah. You have to go do something else now. One of the things that I think is a, is a big limitation in that arena, and I'd, I'd love to hear your take on this too, is that we obviously have a real, uh, a serious lack of appropriate research in our field supporting the various different approaches and things that we do. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of the reimbursement issues get wrapped up in the insurance companies say, well, there's no evidence, you know, to support the use of this particular procedure. So is that something that you think is an impediment um, for for that process? I really do. From massage therapy research and the manual therapy researches from osteopaths and physical therapists and, and certainly from the chiropractic world, our sample sizes are too small or our methods are not specific enough uh, to make it stick. Um, uh, uh, Such Research Institute has a has a history of a low number of, of 10, 11, 7, 20, something. Whereas you go to a pharmacological or a surgical intervention series and you see hundreds, yeah. thousands of patients. Uh, and there's definitive numbers uh, that that provide that information to say that yes, if I do a lot of quadriceps exercise, I can help protect the knee and improve kneecap mobility and function, and and reduce comorbidities that are associated with gait uh, or lower extremity strength. And extrapolation uh, on that is much easier uh, to have things like that justified. Uh, for say strength training, but when it comes to manual therapy, we can look back on a long history of how manual therapy is helpful, but the research methods and the 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 the, the stories of it don't have enough definitive uh, proof that the insurance companies and and such will believe it. Not, and and one generalization that has come out in the last few years again is that manual therapy and massage mobilization eh, well you know it's really not needed to treat your patient it feels good but your outcome at the end of a year at the end of six months post a surgery or post diagnosis of a musculoskeletal problem is the same as if they just do exercise and take a few anti-inflammatories mm-hmm. um the argument that that does thread through is the patient's quality of life and their quality of functional improvement is better with the intervention of manual therapy or massage. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, your, your comorbidities that your patient have, your age ranges, it's so diverse that they won't take it as more of a definitive uh, intervention. Yeah. And I think too, uh, I've always felt that one of the biggest challenges that we have had in terms of getting, for example, as you noted, uh, bigger sample sizes in a lot of these kinds of, of approaches and also looking at research models themselves, it's particularly difficult when we 
admit and recognize that in a lot of instances, the, a, a big factor in terms of the success of a treatment of manual therapy, regardless of you know massage or physical therapy or who's doing it, has a lot to do with who the practitioner is and how they develop a rapport and relationship with their, their clients or patients. And for that reason, it's pretty hard to then standardize treatments across the board for hundreds of people if they're not getting seen by the same person. You know, and then is it question is, is it more about that person or is it more about the method or the technique or what is it that makes this work? Right. That's absolutely true. And, you know, I, I do agree that the relationship between the therapist and the, and the patient is is probably one of the, the strongest uh, uh, bonds and, and one of the reasons why patients get better. Uh, if you can convince them as a therapist that you have their best interest at hand and you have them, to use a horrible term that I have to use way too often, have them buy into the treatment mm-hmm. where they understand it, they want to perform with it, they want to be a part of that that process, uh, they do so much better. Yeah. If they don't have that acceptance and that assimilation of what you're trying to do with them, they can have a big hand in their care. It, it's not nearly as efficient and it's not nearly as smooth and it may not work at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to take a little bit of a slightly different tack here now and, and get some some input from you on another uh, issue that I hear about um, a lot, comes up a lot in, in our massage therapy trainings, and that is uh, understanding uh, adequately scope of practice issues around things like, you know, can we give our clients exercise recommendations or is that practicing physical therapy? And that's a uh, a thing where there's there seems to be a fair amount of gray area misunderstanding. I'd love to hear your your take on that in terms of scope of practice issues. This comes across my radar so many times, and you know, a lot of physical therapists will say that well, if they're going to teach somebody a little bit of a stretch, then then that's okay. But if they start teaching them core recruitment and how to squat and how to, how to do other uh, functional or more detail-oriented activities that that physical therapists do on a daily basis, then the massage therapist is infringing on the scope of a physical therapist and working outside of their scope. Mm -hmm. Uh, I always try to look back at the basics of what people are taught and their programs. Both are taught anatomy, some level of physiology, uh, origins, insertions, and actions of musculature. Um, uh, and then they go into their more specific treatment modes uh, where massage therapists do massage therapy. They focus primarily on soft tissue. Uh, They're not taught to manipulate any joints of the body, including the spine, in any manner other than basic range of motion of the large joints, such as the shoulder, the elbow, etc. And physical therapists are taught more focused manual therapy techniques on some things such as manipulation of thoracic spine, uh, gliding of large joint structures such as the shoulder uh, or uh, the synosmosis joints of the, the wrists and ankle. Uh, and physical therapists are taught more about different modes of exercise, uh, isokinetic, isometric, et cetera. Uh, types of exercise in order to glean uh, changes in the human body where massage therapists are not. Uh, so if one looks at it from that standpoint, 
massage therapists really are limited in where they go. I have in the past dealt with massage therapists who have developed complete, complete exercise programs for a patient, say a, a lumbar dysfunction, uh, which I don't think is appropriate. I think that uh, this is this is where collaboration between our two fields is really important. Uh, and physical therapists can step back and say, you know, as much as I want to say I'm good with my hands, uh, I'm going to have to defer to a massage therapist who has a different opportunity for time and likely a different sense of of palpation and opportunity to work with muscular structures and and connective tissue at fascia on a regular basis. And massage therapists are going to have to say, well, I can teach a couple of things like a stretch or a couple of gross exercises that may help them, but I'm going to have to stop there. And I know it's a gray area. Um, yeah. Tell me, I know there's, there's a fair amount of also challenge from what I understand too of understanding those gray area points between um, physical therapy and like uh, exercise uh, training, like, you know, strength training professionals who say, well, we're trained to do exercise. We're trained to do, re and, and they start working in, in sort of rehabilitative contexts around that too. So uh, how does that uh, happen? Uh, how does that work? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mess, but I can say that, that currently, personally, right now, uh, I'm working in a clinic here in South Bend where I have to say it's a, it's a sweet location right next to Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And we get scholarship athletes in the clinic. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I have to collaborate with their, their trainers for endurance and strength uh, for, their, for their sport, whether it's crew or track and field or, or soccer or whatever. So as their physical therapist, I am going to work on the fine details of stability, uh, small muscle strength, and integration of one body area to another, and then turn things back over to their strength and conditioning coaches and trainers to make them better at their sport. Mm -hmm. uh, so having an open uh, bit of communication with those individuals, sometimes via email, sometimes uh, on the phone, occasionally in person, uh, I'm able to make sure that I don't overtrain that person or step on the toes of a strength conditioning specialist who is much smarter than I am, at least formally, if not in, if not across the board, in making sure that person is able to perform at their highest. But they need me to connect the dots from their injury through stability and coordination so they can then make that person the, the amazing athlete they are yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, a couple of things, too, uh, along those lines that I wanted to, to touch on. One of the things, you know, I'm sort of looking at, there's, we, we spoke earlier about some of the misconceptions that, that maybe some of the public has about what we both do, you know, what physical therapists do, what massage therapists do, um, what occupational therapists do, or all these other professions. Are, you, are there any kinds of things that you think that we could maybe jointly approach or how, how would we jointly approach educating the public about getting better awareness about what we do and how we can work together more effectively? That's a great question. I think that's, that's, that's a, that's a tough call. We have patients that come to see us that think all we're going to do is rub up. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or if we do take the time to do some soft tissue work on someone, you know, I'll get called on the suits. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, one of the things that has worked for me in terms of delineating our professions is by establishing the plan of care with the patient on their first visit. So even in a, as a massage therapist, when I did massage therapy, uh, on their initial visit, after assessing them and doing some special tests uh, and, and trying to more focally figure out where they have a problem, I'd say, okay, here's what I'd like to do, and here's how I'd like to do it. And here's an idea about how long I think it's going to take us to get you feeling a little bit better based upon what I'm going to do with you today. Mm-hmm. So from an individual uh, uh, patient, I think it's easier to start the education that way. And I will often introduce some of the things we may do, such as massage, and say, well, similar to what a massage therapist may do, I'm going to work through some of your musculature. Uh, and, and let them know that we have some common DNA as practitioners, but that's going to be the only realm that we're going to work at, that we have our common DNA and the rest is going to be modalities, exercise, and maybe other tangents of manual therapy, like joint mobilization or, or neural mobilization. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but as a massage therapist, you know, establishing that plan of care with a, uh, a shorter list of techniques and I don't say that quite appropriately because that that's not exactly true because of the different layers of what massage therapy can do with their hands. I don't think that's quite a fair statement, but I, I don't know how else to say it at the moment. Absolutely, I'll take it in clearing up mm-hmm. that you have to say that from neuromuscular education, Rolfing, uh, uh, etc. Uh, uh, but I, I think it's a little bit different when I can say we're going to do exercise function as well as some techniques that we're going to do soft tissue. And have you ever had a massage before? So similarly to the massage you had, we're going to work through your different tissues and then come at you with these other perspectives of, of intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think also in my referral to, to massage therapists, it, it separates what we do from a massage therapist. Uh, there's some wonderful sports massage therapists and another, I'll call them, clinician generalist massage therapist in this area where I could say, I would like you to go see this guy because he's very focused and he can work with you on this shoulder region or hip region. And he's got to do quite a fine job in, in doing that. And when you do your home exercises that we've provided for you, I think you're going to notice a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and they see that we are two separate uh, uh, entities that seem to work with it better. So in terms of the grand scheme of things for discussing with the public, uh, it may have to be grassroots. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know we both work uh, uh, 5K, 10K marathon runs. We'll stretch people after a run. We'll do some soft tissue work on their 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 calves and their hamstrings and such. And it really looks like there's no difference. Um, uh, even with people who are trained by you uh, are standing next to me at a, at a marathon and we both do a, a Thompson test or we do a, a, an anterior a glide of the tibia, a Lachman's test or something on a patient or on a, on a runner because they have a problem. 
they're going to have a hard time seeing a difference between one of your educated folks and your average massage there, average physical therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, it's, it's kind of hard when we go to those, to those walk run kind of things to delineate, but I think at those it's, it's where we go after we assess. Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, both of us could directly refer to a physician, but in terms of some injuries and issues, you know, you've got bad Charlie horses come to either one of us. We think you have a joint issue. Well, with the more proliferation of direct access of physical therapists to the public across the country, depending on state practice acts, um, we can see them in a clinic the next day and we can do other interventions just as a massage therapist. Yeah. Uh, 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 but telling them how we're going to get their plan of care uh, and listening to them and being able to refer them out to either one another or a physician, I, I think is how we're going to delineate it. What is the current state of direct access in the different states? How many states have direct access for physical therapists? I think, and it's changing, I think it's 30 states in the country have direct access uh-huh. uh, uh, in some form or another, such as in Indiana, we have direct access for 42 days mm-hmm. uh, from the time they walk in the door for everyone but Medicare. Yeah. And just to clarify for the individuals who are listening who don't know what we're speaking about here, direct access essentially is meaning an individual can come directly to that physical therapist without having an intervention with a physician or someone else first. That's correct, with with the physician, because most insurance companies require a physician to uh, allow us to bill their insurance Mm -hmm. and actually treat them. Yeah. Uh, uh, And in some states, we're prohibited from any kind of contact with the patient uh, other than conversation unless we have a physician's uh, referral. Yeah. Um, uh, but in places like Indiana, we can treat people for private pay or we can treat them through their insurance uh, if they walk in the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, treat them like uh, any other patient, full evaluation, et cetera, and take care of them. Uh, we can't do that with Medicare because Medicare is, is federal and, and other federal payers. We, we can't do direct access as well. Um, um, uh, but we can do whatever they need, uh, uh, ranging from exercise to dry needling to manipulation of the spine mm-hmm. with our direct access. Yep. Other states have other limitations on the direct access, maybe an evaluation only. Uh, uh, some have provided uh, direct access to their uh, therapists, such as in Michigan. They just didn't write anything in their practice act about requiring a physician's referral. So they've had direct access since I think the 60s. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because they just sort of didn't write it in their practice act. Yeah. Uh, Was that an <laughs> oversight or an intention? <laughs> I, you know, that's a great question. I, I wish I could fix some brains on that one because I, yeah, I think yeah. it you that they just did it on purpose. Yeah. Uh, uh, so anyway. Yeah. We have quite a few listeners uh, outside the United States. You know what the state, uh, state of direct access is for physiotherapy in, in uh, other countries? Um, I do think they have, I think in Norway and Israel, uh, they have a good form of direct access. And I think it's based on how the practitioners report things. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 their system of medicine is more socialized. 
uh, an acquaintance of mine lives in Israel and his wife is a physical therapist. And they get paid the same thing, whether they drop a hot pack on somebody or spend an hour doing detailed manual work on them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, the therapists go in and they basically do what they or they should do what they have to do and make the patients better. And similarly, I think Norway, uh, with, with their medical system, uh, they have some, uh, like a, basically it's a per diem pay mm-hmm. and, uh, and you just do your job and you get, you get paid, uh, uh, per diem per patient per treatment. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you just do what you have to do to make them better. Yeah. Uh, and in a way, I think that's very supportive of the patient and the therapist. I, I think their number of visits is like insane at over 200 visits in some cases. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah. yeah. So if you have a stroke, you have a child with a problem, uh, you, you have a musculoskeletal problem, you can have somebody who's going to take care of you. They're not going to make huge dollars per visit, but their, their living is not, is not going to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last thing I want to ask your your wisdom about is um, I want you to predict the future a little bit for me. So um, I'm curious to hear from your perspective, what do you think are some of the big challenges coming up in the future in the world of physical therapy? And then also maybe for us in terms of interprofessional education or working together or learning more about each other, what are some of the big challenges that, that you see coming down the pike? I think the biggest challenge we have is lack of communication if we as practitioners can make sure we we talk to each other, we don't look down on each other. Uh, one does not have to look up to the other one. I think that's going to be a boon for all of our professions. We can work more seamlessly uh, and and make our communities and our individuals and our communities better overall. Yeah. Uh, insurance companies are difficult to work with. They want to save their dollars. Uh, they want to make their profits as any business does. Uh, but it, with the insurance companies being so strong and their lobbies so strong and, and, and restricting payments, et cetera, uh, even for those of us who really truly believe that we're making a good difference and choosing the best practices to help our patients be better, uh, further reduction and reimbursement per year is not always the the best thing. So, yeah. you know, many PTs are going into private practice with uh, a cash-based system or they're becoming trainers. Mm-hmm. These wonderful gyms, and I, I think that's awesome. However, you know, it, it's, it, it, it sort of dilutes what it is that we're trying to do in terms of healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, as massage therapists, if if more massage therapists do decide to take insurance, they will have to wrestle that bear. Um, yeah. uh, they will have to figure out where their limitations and their strengths are with the insurance companies and realize they're being funneled into how they treat their patients. Mm-hmm. How much effleurage can you do? How much deep tissue can you do? Uh, you know, can you do some fascial techniques to make sure the median nerve is not bound up around the bicep? Um, you know, or or are you prohibited from doing any of those activities whatsoever? Yeah. Um, uh, so I think the our biggest obstacles uh, will be insurance and it will be communication. So mm-hmm. uh, if we can lobby things, if we can discuss things amongst ourselves, uh, 
I think that we'll continue to provide amazing care for our constituents uh, out there and, and the, the, that require good health care. And we need to just keep educating our physicians, our public, each other, ourselves. We need to tell ourselves that we're only as good as we are. How do we get better? But we have all these teammates on other sides of the aisle, besides therapists, chiropractors too, you know, uh, 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 strength and conditioning uh, specialists, et cetera. We can all make this uh, uh, these opportunities for these people to stay better and be healthier. Yeah. Wonderful. That's a great place for us to wrap it up. And uh, Lane, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with us today and, and share those perspectives with the listeners. There's some really valuable insights. I hope uh, everybody took away with that. If uh, people would like to perhaps, you know, get in touch with you or just touch base, is there a convenient, uh, easy way where, where do people find or connect with you? Um, well, let's see. Um, I have an email address, which is probably the easiest way to do that. My professional email address is lane.blondheim at athletico.com, L-A-N-E dot B-L-O-N-D-H-E-I-M at athletico.com. I have a professional Facebook page, which is Lane Blondheim, PTMT, Massage Therapist. Uh, uh, and um, uh, yeah, those are probably the easiest ways to catch me. And I'll return messages and, and keep in touch with people if they have any questions whatsoever. That's great. Thanks so much. And again, I just want to clarify, Athletico is A-T-H-L-E-T-I-C-O. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, great. Yeah. 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 Great. Lane, thanks again so much for being with us here on The Thinking Practitioner. We we uh, certainly do so, appreciate your, your marvelous insights there. Whitney, thank you so very much. It's great to be in contact with you again, and I hope we'll talk to you and some of your listeners sometime in the near future. All right. That sounds great. Please do remember The Thinking Practitioner is supported by ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package, including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps, as well as online scheduling, payments with PocketSuite, and much more. ABMP's CE courses, podcast, and massage and bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, such as my partner Till and myself. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. This episode is also sponsored by the Academy of Clinical Massage, where our mission is to help you become a better practitioner working with pain and injury conditions. You know it's challenging to find high-quality training in your location when you need it, and we bring exceptional orthopedic massage online training programs to the comfort of your home through our innovative online programs so you can learn anytime, anywhere, and immediately help more of your clients. This year, we have completely revised all of our online programs so you can learn more about these at academyofclinicalmassage.com. Thanks again to all of our listeners and to our sponsors. You can stop by our sites for our video, show notes, transcripts, and extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com and also on Till's site at advanced-trainings.com. If you have questions, comments, or things you'd like to hear us talk about, just record a short voice memo on your phone. You can email it to us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or you can look for us on social media under our names. My name Whitney Lowe and also Till Lukop. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts. It does help other people find the show, and you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen. So please do share the word, tell a friend, and thanks again for joining us, uh, everyone, and we'll talk to you in the next one.